Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the time of waiting. We wait for God to send divine love and light into our dark world. How does this happen? God's light comes through Jesus, who became a human being just like you and I, in order to be the means of restoring us to God. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. A reading from Prophet Isaiah. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and he will walk in the, his path. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor train for war anymore. The kingdom of God is drawing near. May we prepare our hearts for God's light to bring peace to Jerusalem and to every city and country in our word. Amen. Please stand as we continue in worship together. Stable in Bethlehem, all of the 
Let's go. 
spend some time praying together. and If you'd like to come to the altar rail to offer your prayers, uh, please come and join me. Otherwise, please be seated. Fathers, we begin another Advent season. Prepare us once again for the coming of Christ. Make us teachable. Make us more open to the changes that you know we need. Make, give us a hunger for the Word. Give us the eyes of Jesus for ourselves and for this world. In our chaos of Violence in this world of war and so much pain. Let the Prince of Peace fill our hearts with a desire for peace. In this world of aliens and strangers, of refugees and displaced people, give us compassion to minister in the name of the one who had no place to lay his head. Father, we We do pray for this world of pain and struggle. And we think about our brothers and sisters, particularly those in Bangladesh today, who face threats and intimidation, discrimination. They're harassed, robbed, beaten. Some even give their lives. In talking about Jesus. Give them courage. Protect them. May their witness bear fruit beyond what they could ever imagine. May they know of our love and support. And Father, quite frankly, give us their kind of faith. Father, we pray for those who are grieving and recovering from the recent disasters and uh, acts of violence in our world, in this country and around us. We pray, Father, particularly for the people of Puerto Rico. And as we take our Christmas offering to help in the recovery effort there, we pray that you will work miraculously. Let your church be a a beacon of hope and, and light in the midst of such despair and darkness. Help us, Lord, to feel the pain of the people there and to engage ourselves. Father, we want to thank you for what you're doing in our church and just the various ways in which we serve each other. Just think about the people who came yesterday and decorated the church. And it's so beautiful and they gave their time and energy. Thank you for that. 
And we thank you, Father, for the work that you're doing in other churches around us. We pray for the Fillmore Wesleyan Church today and Pastor Bill Lawson. May they know the power of your spirit in their worship, in all that they do, that they might be your witness in Fillmore and beyond. Father, we pray for the needs that we represent today. Hearts that are grieving. Bodies that are are racked with pain and struggle. Uncertainty about the future. Relationships that are broken. Financial needs. Lord, we pray that you will bring your healing, restoring grace into every corner of our lives. Father, during this Advent season, we pray that your peace would come upon us, that we might be people of peace in our world that needs peace. Give us joy that we might communicate joy. Give us hope that we might share hope. Fill our hearts with your light that we might be beacons of light. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ, who has come for us and is coming for us. Amen. The Old Testament reading for today comes from Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest steps or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of humans, Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. From the New Testament, Luke 1. Verses 67 through 79. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he said through his holy prophets long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. I want to highlight for you uh, in your bulletin. Tonight at 5 o'clock, I want to invite you back. Uh, one of our interns, uh, James McLean, is going to be preaching tonight, and uh, we would love to have uh, the sanctuary full to support him. Uh, the service will be about 45 minutes, from 5 to about 5.45 or so. We'll sing together, we'll pray, and then he will preach. So if you can, come back at 5 uh, to support James. He's a senior at the college and has been doing an internship with us this semester. And also, uh, we have some Advent devotionals available to you. You can use them individually, as family, if you want to use them, roommates or whatever. It's just some brief things you can do every, with each of the Sundays of Advent that begins today. And uh, just pick those up on the back four years you leave today. Let me invite you to stand, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning.
I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Thank you, Dan. What did you feel when you were listening to that music? It is, it's emotive. You know, you, you feel the passion. I think we take for granted the power of music. You watch a movie and pay attention to the music that's going on in the background. In many ways, it's what makes the movie what it is. You wouldn't be near as afraid if there wasn't that music playing in the background. You wouldn't be near as as excited if it weren't for the, the trumpets blasting in the background. There is power in music, and you feel it there. And music evokes memories for us. It evokes experiences for us. If you're a part of my generation or you've watched movies from my generation a little while back, all it takes is four notes and an image comes to your mind. Dum, 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 dum. Dum, 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 dum. It's really just two notes going back and forth, right? And you see sharks. You can't help it. You just can't help it. And when you hear this kind of, of lament, this kind of music, it, it stirs up in us that sense of sadness and lament. And that's what this song does for us. This song, this tune was originally used as a part of the funeral mass. After one of the scriptures was read, this tune would be played. It was so appropriate for the lament of a funeral. And it matches the words of this carol so powerfully. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, come. You can feel the yearning. You can feel the passion in the, in the writer. And, and as we sing those words, you can feel it deep in your soul, this pleading, this yearning for God to come. It made me feel, it brought back a memory to me of when I was about 10 years old and I was playing a little league. And we were having a practice at the Little League Field. And this field was, was located in the middle of a park. But it was, in the, it was on the edge of the park where that was the only road to it was going to the baseball field. And it was surrounded by trees. It's really actually a, pretty, a picturesque place to play baseball. But it was very secluded. And I remember one day after practice, it was, you know, we were practiced like maybe from 6 to 8 at night. And so it was just beginning to get dusky and... People were, I was there, my parents were coming to pick me up, and they were late. And everybody else left. And I'm just waiting there for them. And as I was bringing to my mind that memory, I could feel once again the anxiety, the fear, the feeling of being alone and forgotten. And I think there is something of that kind of pleading in this carol. Oh, come, oh, come, over and over and over again. Oh, come, oh, come, oh, come, oh, come. We're begging you, come. Israel begged God for centuries for the Messiah to come. He kept promising and they kept waiting and they kept pleading. And Messiah came. And now you and I, Continue to wait and plead for him to come again. We wait and plead for him to come, not just in that huge event someday, but in our lives today. Israel was waiting in exile. They had gone to exile because of their sin. And they're pleading with God to rescue them. To save them. To come to them. And let's be honest. And when we struggle with life. Our sin. Our burdens. Things breaking down. Relationships that, that have hurt us deeply. 
circumstances that have been, have created a, a sense of hopelessness. The burden and the struggle of life. We cry out to God, come. Come. What we really want is for God to rescue us. We want God to remove us from the circumstance. But like God with Israel, he says, instead of removing you from the circumstance, I'm going to come to you in the middle of your circumstance. Isn't that the great promise of the, of the prophets? God will come. I, Malachi says, I'm sending my messenger. Jeremiah says, I'm sending one to come to you. Isaiah says again and again and again, the Messiah is coming to you. And the question for us is, will we wait and trust? Advent is a season of waiting. It's hard sometimes because we want to get right to Christmas. I mean, I'd, I'd rather just go, you know, Thanksgiving this weekend and then Christmas the next weekend. Right? I mean, let's get there. Let's do this. I think the stores want that as well because it was early October when I started seeing Christmas things in the stores. And, you know, the, but the season of Advent, the church fathers were so wise because they knew if we went from Thanksgiving, which they didn't have, but we went to, went right into Christmas from the end of the church year, from the end of, of the, what was called the common time of the year or, or the Sundays of Pentecost, when we went right from that directly to Christmas, we'd miss something. We'd miss the waiting. We'd miss the anticipation. Sometimes waiting isn't the worst thing in the world. Isn't something that you wait for far more valuable to you? Isn't the preparation for something to happen, doesn't that make the event even more exciting for you? And that's what Advent does, much like Lent does with Easter. It is a time of preparation. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of stepping back. And while we are rushing to Christmas, Advent says, oh, not so fast. Hang on. There's some preparing you need to do for Christmas. You need to get your mind in the right place. You need to anticipate what is to come. I mean, you see it in our children. You know, I mean, as soon as there are gifts under the tree, most little children say, when can we open them? Let's get to them. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. And by the time you get to Christmas Day, they're just about to pop. Maybe you're about like that, too. Maybe you do the same thing. And when Christmas Day arrives, it's like this glorious celebration because all we've been waiting for has happened. But without the waiting, it's not near the event that it is otherwise. But we don't like to wait. Waiting rooms are some of the most difficult places in the world to, to exist. It's sort of like in a waiting room, you're not going back, you're not going forward, you're sitting there, nothing's happening, and you're waiting. I listened to a whole number of versions of this carol this week in preparation for this morning, just different ways that people interpret it. One of them in particular caught my attention. It, it's uh, the version of Matt Marr. And we're going to play just the first verse, about 30 seconds of it. And I want you to hear what he does in this version. That's good. 
Did you hear what was happening there? He's just playing acoustic guitar, singing. But in the background, did you hear it? When I heard that, all I could think of was tapping my foot. Not to the rhythm of the music, but it reminded me of what I sometimes do more often than I should. It's a sign of impatience. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Come on, come on. We're late. Come on, let's, we want this thing to happen. It's that fidgeting that we get when we're waiting. Pacing. Moving our hands up and down, back and forth, tapping our feet. And it, it's, it just spoke to me of the, of the dichotomy that we live with, the tension that we live with between Advent and Christmas. Of God, of us waiting for God to act and wanting him to do it now. In our time, in our way, and all the time we're saying, come on, God, come on, God, come on, God, come on, God, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's do this. And this carol calls us to just stop that. To stop the impatience and to trust him. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with continuing to ask God to come. That's a prayer that God's people pray through the ages. It's one of the last prayers in the book of Revelation. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But it's prayed not with impatience, not fidgeting, not trying to convince God to do things in our time. It's simply the desire, the pleading of our hearts. And when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel... We're saying, God, please come, save us, rescue us, help us. But the thing I love about this song is the refrain. This is a Latin text that goes back to at least the ninth century. But the refrain, rejoice, rejoice, was added later, probably 18th, 19th century. I think that was a good idea. Because what it tells us is waiting, the waiting is lament. The waiting and the, and the asking of God to come is pleading and yearning, just like the prophets do over and over again, like the people of God have done over and over again. But in the midst of that waiting, there is this call to rejoice, to celebrate. In the midst of our yearning, in the midst of, of the pain of life, in the midst of the reality of the brokenness of our lives and of our world, we're called to rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Why? Because God has fixed everything? No. But because he's going to. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come. To you. And this is really the call of our faith. To trust God enough to rejoice in him even when we don't see it. Even when we don't understand it. It's the cry of the psalmist over and over again. Oh God, how long? But I trust you. It's the cry of Job. Oh God, what's happening? But I trust you. It's the call of the church through the centuries. Oh God, oh Lord, come. But we trust you. And when you know you can trust God, you can rejoice. Because the real point of the rejoicing is in the one who's making the promise. That's why we can rejoice. Because the one making the promise. That's why when I sat there waiting for my parents to come and pick me up. And I was fearful as, as darkness was settling. And I felt alone and afraid. I knew they would come. I knew they would do that because I knew they loved me. And they cared for me. And whatever was holding them up, they would get there. If it, was my, if it was a neighbor down the street or somebody that I didn't really know that well that was coming to pick me up, I would have been much more worried and much less confident. But when you know and you can trust the one who makes the promise, that changes everything. This song is closely related to Zechariah's prophecy 
that we read earlier. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, after John is born and he's been he's not been unable to speak all through the nine months of the pregnancy. And once John is born, they name him John as the angel told him to. He he regains his speech. And the first thing he does is to offer this praise to God. And you see glimpses of that of his words in this song. You see it in the names that that the that the author of the song gives to Jesus. Dayspring, root of Jesse, the key of Jesse. You you see biblical references all through that. The desire of nations is something that comes from Haggai. You see, he talks about wisdom in one of the verses. That's rooted in Proverbs chapter 8. He uses all these biblical metaphors to connect us to Jesus. Because that's the point. We're asking Jesus, the one who loves us and cares for us, to come, Emmanuel, to be with us. In our burdens, in our struggles, in our stress, in our sin, God with us. The verse about being the day spring, that day spring is really a poetic term for dawn. The light coming up. And there is something when you've been through When you've been through a night of fear and anxiety and you feel alone and desperate, there is something about seeing the sun begin to rise that can change your whole perspective. I think that's why God has always identified himself with light. The temple candles burn continually because it's the light is a sign of God's presence there. Isaiah, talking of the Messiah, says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Zechariah, at the end of his prophecy, says, Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. And John's Gospel begins talking about Jesus, who is the light of life coming into the world. This is the one who comes to us. This is the one we sing about. This is the one that scripture proclaims. And what seems like a a prophecy that is designated just for Israel. When you get to the last verse, he says, come, O desire of nations. God has put a yearning in every single person, a yearning for him. Pascal called it the God-shaped void. And we spend our lives trying to fill that void with everything other than Jesus. All the people on the earth desire Jesus to come, even if they don't know it. It's what they want They want that longing fulfilled. And Jesus says he comes to fulfill every word of the prophets. He comes to fulfill every word in the law. He comes to make it new. To be the desire of the nations. But as you read the rest of that verse. O come desire of nations bind. Our spirits in one heart and mind. Bid envy Strife and discord cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. What we're really doing when we sing that verse is we're praying, God, make us, in the words of St. Francis, instruments of your peace. We are declaring that the plan of God for his creation is flourishing for all people. His plan is peace, his heavenly peace to come to this earth. That's what we say when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's God's will. That's what God's kingdom is about, to bring his peace. That's why the the angels sing of Jesus. He is coming to bring peace on earth. He's the prince of peace, Isaiah says. And when we sing those words, we're saying, God, make us instruments of peace. 
Make us your agents of peace in this world. And that means we live our lives with the desire to get envy out of our hearts. And strife out of our hearts. And discord out of our hearts. So that we take on the character of Jesus of humility. And love. And forgiveness. And grace. And mercy. Really, the teachings of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. You might be asking yourself this morning, why in the world is he talking about a Christmas carol today? And why are we going to think about some Christmas carols in the next few weeks? It may seem an odd thing to do. It, 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 it's something that came to me 30 years ago. When I heard a sermon by Charles Allen who was at that time pastor of First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas, one of the largest United Methodist churches in America and in the world. I loved to hear him preach. He had a real strong southern drawl, and but what a great communicator. And he talks about being in church one Sunday, and the, church, the congregation singing, and he said, in the middle of the song, I just started laughing. I said, I couldn't help myself. I started laughing. People were looking at me. He said, I've been there 18 years, and people were looking at me like, is he going, is he all right? Something wrong with them? They'd never seen me do that. He said, I'm the soul of decorum when I sit up in front of the congregation. But he said, I could not keep from laughing. He said, we were singing one of the most beautiful prayers in our hymn book. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And he said, when we got to that third verse, third or fourth verse, and he said, and we all started singing, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. He said, I looked out at the congregation, I thought, I've been trying to take some of their silver and gold for years, and none of them want to give it. And it, here is everybody singing at the top of their lungs, Lord, take my silver and my gold. And he said, I had this image in my mind of God saying, okay, if that's your prayer to me, I'll answer it. And he said, I couldn't stop laughing, just thinking about that. And then he said, what you ought to do is to think about every so often preaching about the great hymns of our faith. And maybe to call it something like this, let us live what we sing. And that's been in the back of my mind for 30 years. And this year, I'm doing it. And here's the thing about this song. We're going to sing this in a couple minutes. It's really, a, it's really singing. It's an act of faith to sing this song. Rejoice, rejoice. Celebrate. It's, it's an act of faith as we pray to God. Come. Come among us. And change us. Give us faith. Make us people of joy. Make us people of witness. Make us people who look like Jesus. And we come to this table this morning because this is the most visible sign of God's coming. That Jesus has come and look what he's done for us. And Jesus is coming. And think about what he's going to do. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we ask, Father, that that you will give us hearts to pray, to believe what we sing. We ask for your anointing upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink, you may bring glory to you as you minister to us. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. 
This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven. Gave it to his disciples saying drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this. Do it in remembrance of me. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction. As you come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisle. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. Happy to serve you in your row. Just let the usher know when your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. Just let me know if you'd like those when you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire for Him to come, then receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father. Oh, come, oh, come, ye
To our darkened world light has come To our broken hearts a day of hope has dawned The mountains bow and valleys lift their song Declaring the arrival of the Holy One Jesus heard our plea. Love has come our captive hearts to feel. Life eternal springs from our exalted King. Receive the benediction. May Christ who has come and is coming fill your hearts with his joy, his love, his mercy, his grace, his peace, now and forevermore. Amen.